This is the Rise City Church Sermon Podcast. We are a church in Gresham, Oregon, on a mission to rise up and saturate our city with the gospel. We would love for you to join us on Sundays. For more information, check out our website, rise.cc. Whether you already follow Jesus or are exploring Christianity, we hope that you experience the power of God through this message. And we are here to declare Jesus. So uh, if you are new here, welcome. My name is Nolan. I'm right, right now one of the pastors at this church. But uh, if you've been here for a minute, you know that I'm actually moving on to church plant in Phoenix, Arizona. And uh, one of the interesting things that my wife and I got to do this week was go over to Texas uh, so that we could be evaluated as church planters by like a church planting network. And I just got to say this off to the side. This isn't necessarily part of the message, but like one of the big takeaways I experienced hanging out with all these pastors and leaders from all over the place is what an amazing pastor we have here in Jason Clark. Like, yeah, you guys are clapping for that. That's good. That's good. You know, Jason, wherever you are, you're welcome, you know, but like... The truth is, like, what a beautiful church this is. This is rare, you guys. Uh, So if you are new here, man, like, this a little bit in-house, I just want to say, like, I love that guy. I am so grateful to be part of this church. And now there are tons of leaders all over the place praying for you that kind of know who you are and are thinking about you. And as we were hanging out in Texas, you got people from Alaska. You have people from the Midwest, from the South, from, like, all over the place. Uh, What's fascinating is uh, most people know who Portland is. Uh, and we laugh at that, and it's true, and they're trying to like, hey, what is it like like in downtown Portland actually? What is the culture? Is it really what you see on TV? And there's some of that you can push back on, and I'm like, no, I'm from Gresham, you know, and so, uh, but what's funny is I think the best way to describe Portland and kind of this region, the influence of Portland has kind of extended uh, beyond itself, is that Portland is a mecca for modern paganism, right? Portland is a, somebody's amening, uh, Portland is a mecca for modern paganism. People know about things like the naked bike rides. Like, that's what we're famous for. Uh, Some of you know people who are in those bike rides. I do as well. Uh, We are known for voodoo donuts, which is always good. Um, And we are known for, more recently, uh, what uh, what is basically called the Vegan Vampire Strip Club. You guys, we can't make this stuff up. Like, this is real life. This is what's happening in Portland. And this is what we are known for. And so, yeah, you know, I'm I'm, I'm explaining things and kind of hearing people's give and take. And it's just a famous city for being a mecca for modern paganism. But what I find fascinating about the idea of it being a mecca for modern paganism is that people here hate Christianity and hate organized religion. Yes? Like, that's kind of the the tone, the culture. It's different here. Um, But the truth is, they don't hate spirituality, that people who are uh, resistant to Christianity, to Jesus, to organized religion, to anything that sort of feels religious to them, they still have an inescapable longing for the spiritual. Like even in all of those things or most of those things, you hear this nuance of spirituality, this kind of scraping after something deeper, something more, something beyond the surface. And maybe you are here today uh, because you have that same kind of like longing, Like you are here wrestling through, is there something more beneath the pain? 
Is there something more that can change me? And uh, this is the truth. When I talk to people who are not Christians, and we have people like that here at Rise and in our city all the time, um, what I find is that people who hate Christianity, they are spiritual, but they hate Christianity in particular, uh, usually for one reason, uh, for one reason, and that is this, just in my experience. Their problem is that Christians aren't different. That is their struggle, that they look at the church and they're looking for, is this a place where heaven is breaking in? And they look at the people like you and me and they say, it's not. Their problem is that Christians aren't different. I was talking to a guy uh, last week who was telling me a bit of his story and he said this. He said, I grew up in kind of a, a Christian home where everyone knew the truth, but it never changed anybody. Like everyone knew the truth, but it never changed anybody. So here is my thesis today, and we're going to open up Romans chapter 8 to, to do this. Uh, but here's my thesis. Christianity is the thing that changes you. Because Christianity puts forward in its central message, Jesus. And here is who Jesus is. And if you are new to Christianity, I want you to see how amazing Jesus is. That's it. Like Jesus is amazing and he is the God who saves you. He is the God who changes you because Jesus is a full scale, unstoppable savior. That is who Jesus is. That if you take nothing else away, I just want you to know how amazing our Lord is. That Jesus is a full scale. He will stop at nothing. He will use anything. He will harness the very elements of creation to move towards you. That's how big his salvation is. He is full scale and he is unstoppable. Some of you are running from Jesus right here in these seats. Like you came to church today, but in your heart, you know, like I'm running from Jesus. Let me tell you something about Jesus today. Jesus is unstoppable in his love. He is the full scale, unstoppable savior. And he saves us through something called the gospel, through the gospel. And I want to define my terms here a little bit because I know some people are like, hey, what do you mean when you say gospel? Let me give you a definition. The gospel is the beautiful news that Jesus, the God man, died for sin and rose again so that all who trust in him can be saved from the penalty, power, and presence of sin. That is the thrust of what we believe here as the church. So when I say Jesus saves you, what I mean is he uses this news, this beautiful information of what he has accomplished, not what you do to get to him, but what he has accomplished on a cross in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago as the God-man come in flesh to die for your sin, to deal with your great sin problem, and then rise again. This is the good news that we believe as Christians. This is the message. And this gospel saves two groups of people, and this passage, Romans 8, speaks to two kinds of people. And so I just want to, on the front end, tell you who that is. Number one, the gospel in Romans 8 says this, that Jesus saves non-Christians. Jesus saves non-Christians. If you are here today and you're saying, like, I'm longing for that spiritual thing, like, I'm seeking, I'm wondering, listen, the gospel saves you. Jesus saves you. The truth is you are here and you have been struggling and going after, chasing after all of these things in your life. And maybe you're not chasing after like voodoo and like naked bike rides, okay? Maybe that's not you and you moved to Gresham for that exact reason. And you're here and you're saying, I'm not chasing after those things, but you're still chasing after something, bro. Like you are chasing after the girl. You are chasing after the job. You are chasing after the reputation, the success, the acclaim. Whatever that is, it's spiritual for you. And your problem, bro, listen, I love you. It's that you are unsaved. 
That is your ultimate problem. You are not right with God, and this longing you have can only be satisfied when you are saved by Jesus. That's what I'm telling you. Some of you guys looking at me right now, and you're like, are you trying to get me saved, bro? Absolutely. <laughs> like, that's what I'm here to do. It's like to see you hear the gospel and to see you be saved because Jesus saves non-Christians. And number two, Jesus saves Christians. Like, Jesus saves Christians. Some of us are like, man, the gospel is for all these lost people who are doing paganism in downtown Portland. No, no, no. The gospel is for jacked up Christians. The gospel is for those of us who struggle and fail. Because the gospel is not like the entry point to Christianity. The gospel is the entire thing. Right, The gospel is the motivation and method for all of life and ministry. The gospel does not just launch our salvation only, but sustains and empowers it every mile. Jesus' death and resurrection are the intended, obsessive central focus of the church, the basis of our worship, the means of our sanctification, and the native language of the Christian. This is what we swim in. It's called the gospel, right? And it's for you and it's for me. We change not by growing beyond the gospel, but by working out its implications for all of life. I think I'm going to lose my voice today, you guys. Like, that's how this is going. We're talking about the central thing. So open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. We're going to look at verses 28 through 30. Okay, You get three verses, and we are going to dive deeply in these verses. Because I want to see Jesus do soul surgery on us. I want to see Jesus do soul surgery on us because he is big and he is an amazing, unstoppable savior. Let's look at the text. It says this. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is God's word, amen? amen. This is God's word. We wanna look at all that it offers us today, and here's the first thing, okay? Here's the first thing to Jesus being this unstoppable savior is number one, if you're taking notes, Jesus can use anything to save and change you. Jesus can use anything to save and change you. Now, what I don't mean is like he can use Buddhism to change your heart, right? Like that's obviously not what I'm contending here for. But what I mean is that the gospel, which is the one way to salvation in God, the one way that the Bible offers for us to be saved, like that's the only means and method for our salvation. But Jesus can use any of your circumstances, any of your difficulties, any of the people that you know to get you to the gospel that saves your soul. That's what I'm telling you. Jesus is so big that he, he can use any atom in this universe to draw you to his gospel. So where do I get that from? Romans 8, 28, this is what it says. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, when you hear this verse, and you may have seen this verse, how many of you guys have seen this verse before? I got a few, okay, plenty of us, but here's why you've seen this verse before. Because what I would like to call the coffee mugification of this verse, okay? This is what happens, as Christians, we love to take verses, rip them out of their original context, 
apply meaning to them that is at best surface level and at worst just straight up heretical, right? And then we put that verse out of its context to encourage ourselves with heresy, like on a coffee mug or on a bumper sticker or on a t-shirt. And and this is what the coffee mugification of this verse does. It it takes this verse and it makes it straight TV evangelistic preacher-y, okay? And and what, what we think it means is this. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, right? So like turn on reggae music and like, you know, just, just chill because everything's gonna be good for you because now you're a Christian. And here's the problem when we do that to verses like this. Um, the problem is this, it presents a thin, hollow, cheap, unsaving Christianity that is super easy to knock down. Like so many of us, oh man, if I become a Christian, everything will generally go better for me than if I'm not a Christian. Now there's a sliver of truth in that because you should be growing in character and Christ likeness and so things may go a little better in your relationships, right? That, that could be a thing and that is a thing. But the problem is what we then say is like when bad things happen to me as a Christian, like where is God in all that? I thought this verse promised against this, Right? And here's the deal. There are some of you sitting here today that you thought that's what Christianity offered you. And I actually want to disabuse you of that because some of you have actually like walked away from Christianity, rejected your faith, or even deconstructed a faith that that you thought was Christianity, but was actually this, a false kind of pale, like non-deep, non-robust, non-real version of it. And today I want... Like, I can't convince you, and I, I have no power to help you believe the gospel today. But I, my job is to make sure you're rejecting the right one. Like, that's what I'm here to do, is just put on offer what Jesus actually is doing in this verse, and then say, if you're going to reject it, at least reject the real thing. And so here's what it says. It's not, hey, for those who love God, nothing bad will happen to you. Instead, we need to read it in context. So when Paul, our author here, writes this letter, what is he saying when he says, all things, all things. This must include some other verses that lead up to it. Verse 18 tells us that all things must include suffering, right? Uh, Paul's talking about how basically our suffering in this age is not comparable to the glory we're gonna receive in Jesus. And so it must include suffering. Furthermore, it must also, in Paul's words here, include weakness. That like the spirit helps us in our Weakness, And so when Paul says all things, certainly he means good and bad. That Christ is so enormous, that God's work is so good towards you, that he can take the worst of things and redeem them to change you if you believe the gospel. That's what this verse is actually saying. It actually has echoes of another story uh, in Genesis chapter 50. This is the first book in the Bible. Genesis chapter 50 is a story of a man named Joseph. You guys know Joseph? If you're new to Christianity, who Joseph is, is Joseph was a boy who was gifted and favored. And because of that, his brothers were jealous and sold him into slavery. And then from boyhood in slavery through crazy uh, long set of circumstances, um, what happens is decades later, he becomes the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. And he uses and leverages his authority and his gifting and his favor to what? Save the entire nation, including his brothers who sold him into slavery. 
And so he has gone from a slave to the second most powerful person using his gifts to save the very people who sold him out. And here he is. And in verse 20, we get this brilliant line as he faces off with the brothers who sold him decades later. This is like a Netflix series waiting to happen, you guys. This is so good. It's like the authors of Genesis had help or something. But this is what it says. As for you, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. See, God takes your jacked up circumstances and brings about beautiful things. That is what God does, and that is what the gospel does if you would give yourself over to him. Some of you have rejected Christianity because of your suffering. Here's what I'm telling you. You need Christianity because of your suffering. You need this hope in your life. God is a great painter who will dip his brush in the all things of our life. Are you tracking with this? He will dip his brush in the all things of your pain, of your heartache, of your sorrow, whatever that is, because he is willing to do that in order to paint a masterpiece on your soul. That's what he wants to do. And so here's my question for you on this verse. Like, what are your all things? What are your all things? Is it that breakup? the exhausting, stressful season that you're in, the years that you have wrestled through with kids or work or your spouse or whatever? Is it your sickness or loss? Is it your crushing financial circumstances? Is it your tension in relationships? Like, what are your all things? If I'm perfectly honest, uh, like, as the person speaking to this right now, um, like, some of these things maybe all of these things are, are literally going on for me right now, right? Like I'm, I'm planting a church, look how awesome, this is great. And then with that comes a degree of stress, a degree of difficulty, a, a degree of exposure of my weaknesses, right? And where I have nights where I'm like, God, are you even in this right now? And this verse is a promise for people like me. This verse is a promise for people like you. And he wants to do one of kind of a few things with them according to this passage. One, if you are not a Christian, you are unsaved. You, 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 you are not destined for glory. You, are, you do not know God. Here, here's what God wants to do with that in your life. He wants to draw you to Jesus through the all things. That's what he's doing. He is stripping things away from you. And you're wondering, why is everything being stripped away? Here's why. Because God is exposing that what you truly need is only found in Christ. And today is the day to receive the grace of, yes, everything sucks and it may not get better, but here is the truth. You can have hope in the midst of it if you call upon the name of Jesus Christ. That's what I want you to do today. If you are not saved, it's to become a Christian, to receive grace, to come as we all have as beggars and say, Lord, I need you. Like I need you in the midst of this. God is drawing you to himself. Number two, if you are a Christian, he's not done with you. And so what he is doing with the all things is causing you to cherish him more. To use the same thing, like, man, why is everything being stripped away? Here's why. To show you, Christian, that all you truly have is Christ. That's what you have is Jesus. Furthermore, some of you, you're like, you're in these crushing circumstances, like, man, I trust in Christ. I know, I know him. Like, I, I worship him. I love him. I see his unstoppable greatness. But here's the deal. He is allowing these things in your life to make you maybe more usable, more usable. I was talking with one of these pastors this week uh, over dinner. He is the significant leader over in Reno, a really tough city. 
And he's actually kind of a tough guy too, like this old, like tough SoCal dude, right? All tatted up, just doesn't care what you think. Very significant preacher and pastor and leader over a significant ministry down there. <clears throat> and I was asking him like, looking at his tattoos and like all this stuff, and I'm like the tattoo guy judging the tattoo guy now. And I'm going like, how did you get into ministry? And uh, he goes, yeah, like, that's a funny story. He said, my life's passion was to fly planes for the military, like fighter pilot, all that stuff. And he was smart, and so he got himself to that point where he was gonna graduate and move into being a fighter pilot. And uh, at this point, he's driving home one one day, and his vision just goes blurry, like instantly, to the point that, like, he had to go to the doctors, and they were like, oh my gosh, son, like, I'm so sorry, this, like, is a rare, but, like, your vision is now impaired from, like, 2020 to zero, (laughs) How does this happen? And, and his dreams are absolutely smashed. And he finds himself sitting, like weeping over this circumstance. His dad was a pastor, um, and he always felt like ministry was sort of moving towards him, but he's like, my dream is other than that. And his dad comes, and just as a good dad sits with him, puts his arm around him, listens to him weeping, just, just understands. And at the end of all this, his dad puts his hand on his shoulder and looks at him and says, son, I know you don't want to hear this. I know you wanted to go into the military. But maybe you were made for another war. God allows some pain in our life sometimes to make us more usable, amen? This guy came out of a circumstance like that, and he looks back and he says, I don't regret any of that. God has used him mightily. He certainly is a fighter pilot, right? But for the kingdom, that's what God has done in his life. And here's the deal. Some of us are going to push back on this, and you're literally thinking here right now, like, okay, God's using some people. He's not going to use me. God's changing some people, but I've already tried Christianity. He's not changing me. Here's the truth. You're saying, like, man, I'm not like your average person wrestling with whatever. Like, I've got my addictions. I have got, um, you you know, I have people that come into the church a lot, and they're like, hey, you know, I was afraid to come in because I was afraid lightning would strike me. Right, you're sitting here, that's you. You're like, man, I'm afraid that God is gonna smite me on the spot. Like, no, no process, just like done, judgment, right? You're struggling with severe anger. Maybe you're struggling with the foolishness of your past and it's all kind of catching up to you. You're like, God has no place for me. God can't change me. Here's the truth I want you to see in the next verse in verse 29. God makes jacked up sinners look like Jesus. If you are looking at the church people right now, I know we don't wear like button-up stuff like they do in Texas, okay? But you're looking at them, they look pretty good. You know, they they did their hair, their kids came here and they didn't kill each other and nuke each other and all that stuff. You're looking at them, oh, they look like perfect people. Listen, none of those people are as pretty as they appear on Sunday morning. I know them, okay? (laughs) Like Jesus doesn't save good people, Jesus saves jacked up people, right? Like that's why we're here is we are in the hospital to receive help. Romans chapter eight, verse 29 tells us so much. It says this, for those whom he foreknew, we're gonna get into all these words in a moment. He also predestined, also getting into that, to be conformed, now this is the big deal, to be conformed to the image of his son, that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. What Paul is telling us here is Jesus will find you at any point in your messed up story. He will redeem your life and he will make you look like Jesus, even if he has to do that against your will right now. That's what he's saying. He's saying, yes, you are a full-blown mess, 
Like you came in here and you are a problem. I'm not gonna like shave that bad news off, okay? Like you are a problem. I am a problem. Our sin is a big problem. We are condemned before God. Like you are going to hell and your life is going in the handbasket. Like that's what's taking place here, right? We are a problem. That is Christianity 101, right? You guys disagree with that? That's cool. I'll go anyways. I don't really care what you think. I got the mic. Let's go. Like our lives are moving towards hell in a handbasket. That's true. All right, but here's the deal. Jesus wants you anyway. God wants to make you look like Jesus anyway. That's the good news of the gospel. It's not, hey, you're a good person. Come on in. We love you. High five, chest mom. It's that you're a jacked up person that Jesus can redeem. That's the good news of the gospel. And so it says here, underline this in your Bible, to be conformed to the image of his son. Even thinking that phrase is insane to me. You know who Jesus was according to the Bible? Sinless son of God. He never did anything evil. His whole life was perfectly what we would call holy, set apart, uh, not dealing with sin, not, not engaging in sin. That's how good Jesus is. But you ever meet somebody that's like a little bit more holy? Aren't those people just mean as the devil? <laughs> Jesus was different. Jesus was perfectly holy, yet perfectly loving it at the same time. That Jesus was the God-man who leveraged his holiness, his righteousness, on a cross, being brutally murdered for you and for me. That is who Jesus is, pouring himself out in love, in the gospel, on a cross. And so God is gonna work all things towards that end, to take messed up people and make them like Jesus. Colin Cruz, a commentator on this, writes, believers may experience suffering and persecution, but God in his sovereign power makes even these things serve the end of their conformity to Christ. That's what he's doing. And so if, if you are like me, like I read verses like this and I struggle with it. I just struggle with it. Uh, there was a while back where uh, we bought a house. And um, how many of you guys have neighbors with a cat? All right, how many, cat neighbors. Here, here's what these guys know that the rest of you don't know. If your neighbor has a cat, like you also have a cat, okay? I'm just letting you know, like if you're in the market right now, First of all, I'm sorry for different reasons, um, but like also, like maybe pick neighbors that don't have cats because it's gonna happen. And so we were doing this garden and the cat would come in and gardens look a lot like cat litter, okay? And so the cat was coming to like do his thing and I was like, uh-uh, bro. And so it was a battle between me and a feline, bro. Like that's, that's what was going on in my, my life and I'd be like, get out of here, kitty, kitty. <laughs> you know, and it, it, like cats are like apex predators in their world, right? And so he just alphaed me, right? He was like, I'm staying right here. What are you going to do about it? I'll scratch you up. I was like, oh, uh-uh. And so like, I get in the cat's face. I'm like, woof, you know? <laughs> like a rational human being, right? Just like barking at the animal in my garden. Like, what is going on? My wife's like, what? You know, probably Instagramming me. Just like, look at the crazy husband in my house, you know? And, and here I am. And uh, I remember this one morning, got up like 5 a.m. because my kids are up at 5 a.m. And here's the cat and I catch him. He's like ready to go potty like on my wife's. She had planted all these plants like in the front yard. And I was like, not today, bro. Not today, Satan. And so I went out there and I, I just like, boof. Like, I gave him the like big dog woof, you know. And like, then I see, um, well, I hear the sounds. He goes, well, good morning, Nolan. And I look over and it is my neighbor who owns the cat. And I'm just wrecked right now. One, because I look like an idiot. <laughs> and two, because I am a pastor and she knows it, bro. <laughs> Barking at her cat. 
And I don't know who's more evil, like the neighbors who have cats or me at this point, right? But here's the deal, like I'm a messed up dude, right? Like I am not, like here I am, I'm preaching to you, here's how to live. No, 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 I'm, I'm preaching to you. I don't know how to live except for in Jesus. Like I don't know what I would do with myself if I didn't know Jesus. I need grace, I need mercy, I am a problem. That's my story, you guys. There's nothing heroic about Christians. What we are is equally jacked up people who are being made different by Jesus. That's it. And so you look at someone's life and you're like, man, they're a Christian? Like that is your contention here? You're like, they're a Christian? Well, they can't be a Christian, look how messed up they are. I'm saying, look at their life like a year ago. Like this is them 2.0 right now, okay? Like they're better off because of Jesus and so how does this work in our lives? We're being conformed. Here's what I just want to like clue you into. Here's how the gospel actually changes you. In church history, there was this guy named Augustine. And uh, Augustine is well known for being just one of the brilliant thinkers in Christianity. Uh, but he came out of darkness. His flavor of sin was sexual sin. And so he had girlfriends and concubines and stuff like this. And one in particular that he was, uh, he struggled with in particular. So he liked her a lot. And so she showed up when he was saved and like wanted to get with him. And so here she is and she starts calling out to Augustine to tempt him, right? And she's like, oh, Augustine, it is I, you know, like doing the whole thing. And he's like, oh, no, Lord, I need to resist. And, and she's like, Augustine. It is I, you know, like just, just trying to draw him in. And the story goes that he calls back. He says, yes, yes, I know that it is you, but it is no longer I. Listen, some of you, when you're facing temptation, need to be reminded about what the gospel says about you. Like that's factual and true. You don't get saved because you're doing better. You are saved because Jesus did better than you. <laughs> like that's how that works. And then what you get to say is not, I need to strive so that God will love me. What you need to say is God already loves me. That makes me a different person factually and actually. And now I get to live in light of that new reality by saying, yes, it was me, but it's no longer I. When you're faced with the temptation of anger, when you're faced with the temptation of going into deeper sin because you kind of already started and you're not sure if you can reel it back, no, no, you say, it's no longer I. I can stop right here. When the bottle looks really good and it looks like the option and you're gonna dive deeply, he says, listen, it's no longer you. You are found in Christ. That's how the gospel changes. You guys track it with this? This is how that works. And lastly, what we're gonna see is the gospel, if it all hinges on Christ and his work and his love towards you, that this is how good Jesus is, you guys. Jesus' saving love is not like waiting down the road for you and you gotta work your way towards it. No, Jesus' saving love is ancient, present, and relentless. It's ancient, it's present, and it is relentless. Jesus' love was there before you got to it. It was already moving towards you. His love in the midst of all your mess, is sitting right now, hovering and wrapping itself around you right now in your mess. It's present. And then finally, it will be relentless until it ultimately changes you and you get up out of the grave as a perfect, glorified human being before the presence of God. That's how good his love is. Look at verse 30. It says, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This verse is that most significant verse that theologians call the golden chain of salvation. And it's the golden chain because it kind of gives us this ordering of salvation. 
if you will. And what it's saying is that salvation didn't start like that Sunday morning you came forward as a kid to receive Jesus. No, no, what it says is that Christ's saving love, the Father's saving love was already like scoping you out from eternity past. And that's the way God moves towards you. Um, I wanna break down these words that, that he moves from predestination to you know, being called and justified and you're like, what are those? And then he, he like conforms you to his image in the last verse and then he, he glorifies you ultimately. This is the chain here and I wanna break these terms down. Number one, we're gonna do the tenses of salvation, okay? You guys still awake enough for some theology? Good, okay, so this is the chain of salvation, tenses of salvation. Number one is predestination. And these first two are past tense. I say tenses because this is eternity past starting here. This is how God's love has been after you before you ever turned towards him. And it means this, you were chosen and loved before you sinned. Before you were ever born, God was chilling in eternity past with his glorious self. And he was like, these guys are gonna be messed up. Like Sally is gonna be an actual threat to humanity, bro. And he was looking at that messed up self that you are right now. And he looked forward and he said, I want her anyway. That's it. Not because he looked forward in the future, saw through the corridor of time that you were going to be a great person to choose him. No, no. When he knew that you would not choose him in your sin, you would keep chasing after it. He said, yeah, but I'm going to get involved in her life and I'm going to change her heart. That's how that's going down. We don't give glory to ourselves for our salvation. We give glory to Jesus, the Father, and the Spirit for our salvation because it's all his idea, not ours. And this is how good his love is, you guys. Then we talk about this term justification. He calls us, meaning when you hear the gospel preached, it's not just the dude talking, but it's God the Father speaking. And in this effective instant, he grabs your heart and pulls you in. That's how that works, being called. And then he justifies you. What is justification? That you have been saved from the penalty of sin. Now, this is not obviously past tense if you're not saved yet. What I need you to do is make this past tense by believing in Jesus today. Then that becomes past tense for you. That when justification is courtroom language, basically God throwing the gavel down and saying, you deserve condemnation, but justified anyway because of my son. It's good news that you get what you don't deserve and you don't get what you do deserve. You're justified. That he puts his account in your bank account. That's how this works. Then it's sanctification. Now this is present tense. Sanctification is the idea of living different because of what Jesus is doing in your life. That salvation doesn't just start, stop at like believing on Jesus, you got fire insurance and you can go to heaven when you die, but that the time, the interim time in between that we live our life, we're living it for Christ more and more fully through a process of change, which we have been talking about for like months and months and months and months. Sanctification, you are being saved from the power of sin. And then finally, we have glorification. What is glorification? That is future tense. It's when you die. That you are gonna get up out of the grave because you will be saved forever from the presence of sin. That you will no longer have a sin nature that draws you back to the things that you walked away from when you got saved. But now you will live in eternity on a renewed earth with God. That's glorification. How are we, guys, how are we, how are we doing, you guys? We're doing good. Okay. These are big words, and um, they're even hard to say. So, But here it is. I wanna summarize them with one phrase. Now, you can dig into this is actually a theology phrase of itself, but I think it's a good summary for what God is doing in Christ in your salvation. This is how it works. We call it irresistible grace. Irresistible grace. How is that? That's a strong phrase right there. Because what it's implying is that you don't move towards God, God moves towards you and changes you. 
Now, some of you guys hear these words and you hear this idea and you're like, wait a second. Like, I'm sort of bothered by the idea that God would save me kind of like against my will, right? That I can't resist. Like, how does that work? Doesn't seem right. Seems like God is like almost like abusive in that, moving towards me when I didn't want him. How does that work? Um, Charles Spurgeon will uh, explain (laughs) what he says. A man is not saved against his will, but he is, check this out, made willing by the operation of the Holy Ghost. I love when people say Holy Ghost. There's something about that, like just kind of thuggy, I don't know. (laughs) But he is, you are made willing. So it's not against your will. It's that he changes your will. (laughs) That's how it works. And a mighty grace, which he does not wish to resist, enters into the man. Like, it's so good that once it gets into you and you see the beauty of the cross, you go, oh, wait a second. Like, I want that. Like, that's what I want. What what was I missing before it gets inside of you and you say, it's beautiful. Why did I miss it? That it disarms him. I love that language. It disarms you. You just put down your defenses. You're like, what was I thinking? Makes, it makes a new creature out of him, and he is saved. That's how salvation works. And this is good news. That no matter how resistant you are to Jesus, Jesus has the power, and the Father is able to speak to you in the midst of your resistance and show you and open your eyes to the beauty of grace. That is the salvation that we long for. Um, so years ago, uh, you know, many, many years ago, I was a 20-year-old man. And I was talking to this girl over the phone while I was at Bible college, and she was pretty. And um, as we're talking, at one point or another, I was like, I feel like this is a thing a little bit. And so I, I just full-blown asked her over the phone because I'm subtle. I was like, hey, you know, like, what do you think of me? Like, are we, a, are we kind of a thing now? I don't know. What, what is this right now? And uh, she had just broken up with a, another dude not too long ago, so she was trying to walk in godliness and was like, like, I don't really know. And I was like, dude, I'm putting out some crazy game right now, and you're going to reject your boy. Like, what's happening right now? I was like, whoa. I was like, whoa, what? And, and so I'm getting rejected. She's like, ah, I got to pray about that one. Like, I don't know. I'm like expecting at least flirtation back at this point. I was like, this is so weird. I was like, okay, okay. But I wasn't ready to give up. And so, uh, like, I just got smooth with my bad self. Like, I would, um, like, she'd post a picture online, leave a cute little comment, you know, that kind of thing. Just subtle. Uh, She would, uh, you know, I would just text her at random just to say, hey, how you doing? Just thinking about you. And so I'm, like, still, like, moving towards her. And then ultimately, uh, I ended up coming back from Bible school. We go out to, like, hang out. And she had just gotten, like, her tonsils out and everything. And so I went in to get her a bag of ice on this, like, kind of date we were on. And uh, I bring the ice out, and uh, I give it to her. But then we see there's, like, this, uh, you know, this homeless guy who's sitting there. And, and, like, I just, I don't know. I felt bad. And so I was like, hang on a sec. I went back in, got him a sandwich, gave her the ice, gave him the sandwich, told him about Jesus, like, the, the whole thing. And then we start to turn. And uh, up until this point, like, we weren't, you know, official or whatever. And uh, something about that moment, like, just changed her heart. (laughs) And she uh, grabs my arm and kind of pulls me in at this moment. And so I, like, grab her hand. (laughs) And, like, (laughs) this is Lindsay Jaden, my wife now, by the way. So (laughs) it worked. Uh, So (laughs) single fellas, if you're looking for advice, you know, like, you know, serve Jesus, it works. I don't know. So... It's like the worst advice ever. Um, 
what happened was she was resisting me, you could say, right? Like, <laughs> and at one point, like, I just became irresistible. And so um, <laughs> through an act of love that reflected the gospel. And so um, what happened was her heart was changed inwardly to desire that which she had not desired previously. You guys seen how this works? This is what happens when we fall in love with Jesus. And so um, some of you are sitting here, you're like, if this is this irresistible, like, why it hasn't happened to me? Like maybe you even struggle because, or maybe you know somebody who you're like my kid or my friend or my coworker, this, this friend I've known forever, like, like God hasn't broken through, why not? Why not? And here's what I wanna say to you. Jesus will never reject anyone who comes to him. He won't. That's not how this works. You get really philosophical about this. But what I want you to know today is that you can call upon Jesus. And if you want a relationship with Jesus, he will give it to you. You just gotta know once you do or once they do that it was his work all the while. That's how it works. He is great. I've, uh, I have loved pastoring at this church. And um, there's a dude who, uh, his name is Anthony. I'll show you uh, a picture of this guy. Right here, this is my boy, Anthony. And he was as lost as they come. Uh, he, we started a coffee shop ministry over at Intent Coffee, it, which doesn't exist anymore. Um, but uh, we, we were meeting there. It was like five, six young adults, and then me and Lindsay. And uh, we would do free coffee for them and say, hey, invite lost people. We're going to talk about Jesus. And so they would show up, and, and that was kind of the ministry then. And it was like a lot of lost people, including this guy. And I asked him after he came back and came back and came back. I was like, why are you coming here? Like, what is the deal? Like, well, you guys are nice, surprisingly, for Christians. <laughs> And number two, like, you guys give free coffee, and so I can't pass it up. Like, what else am I going to do? And so he would hang out for the free coffee. And then I remember uh, during COVID, uh, actually at the point I took this picture, he showed up, and he lifted up his shirt uh, to show me his belly. And I was like, what is going on right now, bro? And there was this big purple bruise. And I was like, where did that come from? And he's like, yeah, yeah. So I got to tell you something. This week, I got in a car accident. And by a miracle of God, I moved the car forward like by an inch or two. And when the accident went down and the police came by, they were like, do you realize you were an inch or two, inch or two forward away from death just by the angles of everything? And he tells me like, in the exact moment that I accidentally hit the gas pedal, God told him basically that he was preserving his life because he had use for it. <laughs> it was time to surrender to him. So right after that accident, he was like, God, I get the picture. You're using all things to draw me to yourself. And so he gave in and he gave his life to Jesus. And literally, we're standing here and we're smiling because this is a brand new Christian right in front of me. And uh, he goes on and um, joins Bible study under Tyler Martin, who's amazing in our young adults ministry. And he begins to just walk with Jesus, read his Bible, walk faithfully. Ultimately, he, he's now leading a Bible study and, and part of that goes hard. He's going to like a school that they do a Bible program, like he's all in. And uh, I was having a hard week one week. At young adults, we offer prayer. I went back for prayer as the leader of it. I'm like, I need prayer. And so I remember standing there with Anthony who was there on prayer team. And he's like a big dude. Anybody know Anthony? He's like a big dude. And so uh, he like cuddles me, a little dude, like into his comfy bosoms, right? Like just, <laughs> come here, buddy. Let me pray for you, little guy. And he is praying this most biblically sound, beautiful, heartfelt prayer of my life. And dude, I, I'm gonna cry right now. 
I start crying. <laughs> and uh, I'm not an emotional, I'm a tough guy, you know. <laughs> and I'm just crying. <clears throat> and, he, and he's probably wondering, why are you crying <laughs> into my comfy bosoms right now? <laughs> and I'm like, dude, I'm not crying because I'm having that hard of week. It's not that hard, right? <laughs> I'm crying because of the work of God in your life, bro. How big is our Savior? How good is a Jesus who can take people who are as far as Anthony was and bring him to where Anthony is? That's how awesome our unstoppable Savior is, amen? We need to worship this Savior. This is the beauty of what he accomplished at the cross, and this is the beauty of who he is. And some of you may be struggling right now. Maybe you're struggling with how, how you know, holy you are or, or that person you want to see saved or whether you should give your life to Jesus right now. I want to read this promise of your life. Would you guys stand with me? This comes out of Philippians 1.6, a direct and beautiful parallel to what we just read. And this is what, what God's word says. If you are struggling, this is what it says. And I'm sure of this, that what? Let's read it together. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Amen? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are a big savior. Father, we glorify you for sending your glorious son. We thank you for the work accomplished on the cross, that gospel that saves. God, we even thank you now for the painful things in our lives right now, Lord. And I know that there are those, even as I pray that, that are gonna struggle to pray that. Holy Spirit, would you just fill this room? Would you just change hearts even right now? Would you console, would you comfort, would you guide? Lord, we thank you for these things. God, we seek you in the midst of them and we ask, Lord, that you would use them to change us. We love you, Jesus. We glorify you, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen.